to the Advanced Tech Podcast. Sponsored by Adaptech Solutions, building software that defies convention. Get your startup off on the right foot for the future and avoid the dreaded MVP rewrite. Get out of your legacy code trap and get trained in modern software architecture practices. Visit adapttechsolutions.net today to see why we're different. Joining us today is Brian Benz. He's based out of Las Vegas, Nevada and works as a senior developer advocate for Microsoft. Welcome, Brian. Thanks. Glad to be here. Great. <laughs> so if you could tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I've been working um, at a lot of different companies over the over my career. Um, I've lived in uh, London and Sydney and uh, a few other places and uh, been working in technology since about 1985, so I'm old. And, um, That's I the same, same year as me. That's yeah. perfect, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was a little kid, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, mine was a long time ago. It was a, I guess my first computer was even a Commodore 64 way back in the day. Same here, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, wow. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, so uh, basically, um, you know, my work background, I've worked at a few startups. Um, I've worked at IBM and Deloitte, uh, and now I'm at Microsoft, uh, working on non-Microsoft technologies. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> how, do, how does one work for Microsoft on non-Microsoft technologies? That sounds kind of uh, very odd to people that are used to, uh, that know Microsoft a certain way. It does, yeah. Well, hopefully we're changing that perception. Um, our whole team, so the cloud developer advocates team, we do have a part of the team that is dedicated to the traditional Windows.net technology stack, Visual Studio, et cetera, et cetera. But um, a lot of the team and a lot of the people we're hiring right now, and we are hiring, by the way. Um, Who isn't, and, right? Uh, yeah, and well, I'll <laughs> give a link in a bit, but uh, we're hiring. Uh, the uh, A lot of our team, most of the team, in fact, is uh, coming from an open source background, uh, Linux, containers. Um, my In my case, I work exclusively with the Java community. Um, and I've been working with Java. Did I say this already? I can't remember. No, I've been no, working no, with no. Java since uh, 1999, mm-hmm. and uh, it was part of this book that I wrote that I mentioned, the XML Programming Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in those days, it was 2003. I actually, uh, part of the book is is uh, was was using a brand new service called Amazon Web Services, which back then was just basically to look up books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I used that as part of my uh, my demos in the actual. Uh, book as, as part of the source code and things, uh, it actually used to return XML. Oh, everyone uh, loved XML in those days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, was, yeah. XML was king. Yeah. We were building web services, all kinds of things. So it was an interesting book. But that was my first introduction to something, I guess, that would be the cloud. It wasn't yeah. the cloud yet. I guess people that are complaining about JSON should uh, take a little history lesson to see what, what we have to deal with, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, JSON still has, yeah, there's, there's, you know, good and bad for both. But yeah. So anyway, um, you know, working with Microsoft, uh, I joined four years ago working, um, for a group called MS Open Tech, actually almost five years now. Uh, and basically, we were there to help open up the company, open up uh, all the projects that we had. And there was a lot of debate back then about open source. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is it is it worth us engaging with open source communities? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how are they going to receive us? Are they going to accept us? Uh, things like that. And, and, and it, you know, there was really no need for any kind of, um, 
caution, really. I mean, the, the open source communities out there mm-hmm. are, are open and welcoming and are happy to have contributions from anywhere they can get them, uh, you know, to help make the, the software better. So mm-hmm. certainly saw it in different parts of, uh, Microsoft. That's, uh, a company with many, many departments and divisions, obviously. Yeah. Uh, my, my experience was with the uh, uh, CQRS journey book. And that was the, I think that was the first time that Microsoft, it was 2011, 20, or beginning of 2012, where Microsoft was, uh, was using GitHub for, for its internal project. That was the first one, I think. But yeah, mm-hmm. five years ago, so, so it sounds about right. That's when things started to turn, where Microsoft started to use a lot more what was out there in, in open source internally. Yeah, and now, uh, actually, you mentioned GitHub. So there's uh, a, a report that GitHub produces every year called the State of the Octoverse. And uh, if you go out and search on State of the Octoverse, yep. you'll find it. If you scroll down, uh, the largest number of contributors to open source projects right now, at least for this year, is Microsoft. We're at yep. the top of the list uh, underneath Facebook, I think it is. But yeah, yeah, so that's, a, that's a, a contentious for sure. It's a contentious number. I don't know if you if you've ever seen the tweets about it, but uh, there's uh, you know the people that you know um, whether it was uh, contributions to make sure that uh, the uh, things uh, worked in Azure that were in Linux, they mm-hmm. ended up getting into the into into the kernel itself. So obviously those were Microsoft email addresses. Yeah, and then uh, and then there was of course uh, the problem with uh, I think Google got. Uh, reported as a separate entity from Angular. Yeah. So there, there was a couple of oh, things. Yeah. Yeah, 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 if you remember. No, I remember these. Yeah. Kind of, yeah the statistics it, are excellent. <laughs> you can use them for all sorts of reasons. But, but yes. still, it's, a, it's, it's an unprecedented number, obviously, for Microsoft. Yeah, who would yeah. imagine yeah. five years ago exactly. when I joined Microsoft that we would be one of the major contributors to GitHub, even if we're in the top ten, you know, I mean. Yeah, it's a, that's, it's a you know, night and day, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so... Yeah. So over the last five years, how has that accelerated? Obviously, with that last GitHub report, I mean, in terms of the real day-to-day um, for you, how does that look like? Well, you know, part of my job is producing docs. So it's, it sounds boring, but it's actually quite interesting. That's so, quite important, too. Yeah, yeah. So when we build a new product or service, like we were building some, some you know, we have uh, SDKs for Java and .NET and uh, PHP, Python, and a few others. And uh, whenever we build a new feature into that, we have to build a sample mm-hmm. so we can make it work, show it how to work. We build docs. All of that process, the samples and the docs, is in GitHub. Wow. And so uh, our, our whole docs uh, system is actually in GitHub. If you go out to the Microsoft site and you click on one of the docs, there's a edit button up in the top yep. right. You can click on the edit button. It takes you to a GitHub site where you can actually submit a PR and nice. we review those and we accept a lot of them. So yeah, certainly yeah. GitHub has changed the, the face of uh, open source, uh, giving that, you know, right in the web page, edit something and with a few clicks, create what used to take programmers to do on the command line. Right. So mm-hmm. um, it's nice to see that uh, Microsoft is embracing that and pushing it further to get even more contributions from the public. Yeah, still a lot of command line though. <laughs> oh, well, I, that's my preference. I'm, I'm a geek, so <laughs> I'm yep. sure you prefer the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually work a lot in the command line now. Now, now that we have a Windows subsystem for Linux, which is otherwise known as Bash yep. on Windows, uh, so you can actually uh, work with most uh, Bash commands, Linux commands that you're used to. Um, and they support different distros now, right? 
for the yes. Linux subsystem, as far as I know. Yes, yeah. There's there's different distros that are supported, but basically it's just Bash and yeah. Linux. And also works with our what we call the command line interface. So we wrote this thing in Python, right, which allows you to interact with Azure, so you can mm-hmm. create, um, you know. Networks, virtual machines, yep. services, all kinds of things. You can manage them. You can edit them. You can shut them down. Everything from the command line. Yeah, that's very important nice. for, for scriptability and being able to repeat what you did. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. One of the largest criticisms of Microsoft was a lot of their tooling, including programming tooling, was uh, done ex- exclusively in the UI to the frustration of the people that really wanted to automate. Uh, I know that the initial portals for Azure were not on par with what you could do on the command line in the initial years, but that yeah. certainly has ca- caught up now. Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, we're evolving the, the CLI all the time. Yeah, exactly. So, That's good to see. Uh, and it does a lot. I mean, it's just it's amazing what, what you can do with the command line. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so another question. What would you say drives you to get out of bed in the morning to do what you do? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I really, I've always liked doing and sharing, you know, um, I've been working, uh, since I was a teenager writing code and, uh, you know, made it into profession, which was wonderful. Uh, but I also like teaching and I like presenting and I like traveling. Mm-hmm. So, uh, getting, being able to do all those things is great. Uh, also just working with the cloud is amazing. Um, you know, I see a lot of potential in the cloud. It's only beginning. Even though it's a multi-billion-dollar business, and you know Amazon and Google and Microsoft and all these huge companies are in, it's only it's only the beginning. I mean, Certainly, a lot so of work much. left to be done for sure. Yes, yeah. yeah. Not only just you know in in terms of uh, support for different things that people are trying to do, but also just you know there's going to be so much growth in the cloud. I don't think people realize, and we have. And Microsoft, I can't remember, I think we have 35 or 40. If you just search Azure locations, you'll see all the locations we have. And we call them regions because we have three different buildings in a physical, you know, location, mm-hmm. like an area. And each one of those buildings is multiple, multiple football fields yeah, of size. And they're just adding more capacity constantly. Uh, in Canada, uh, just a little while ago, we fired up our first West Coast Azure's uh, yeah. uh, site, and it actually filled up to capacity almost immediately, and we had to, you know. Well, you know, Canadians, we always get forgotten, and so finally when some <laughs> service is released here, it just gets jumped on, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything happens in the States first, and then we're always uh, second to get stuff, but it's nice that it eventually does make it over. Oh, hey, you know, it's... Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles in terms of uh, legal and things like that that are are not technical issues, but yeah, we, we you know we're we're bringing the the cloud everywhere we can in the world, uh, as, as you know as fast as we can. So yeah. well, it's good it's good to see that that drives you to get out of bed in the morning. It's uh, better mm-hmm. than the answer I think that Michael Feathers gave us, which was an alarm clock. So it <laughs> <laughs> so drives him funny. out of uh, <laughs> out of bed every morning. But, uh, you know, some guests are much more literal than others. But hey, <laughs> Michael was uh, was a great guest. So. Yeah. <laughs> one, of awesome. our, one of our favorite interviews too. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say about getting me out of bed in the morning. You know, working at Microsoft, uh, I'm really uh, touched by the way they do things lately. I don't know if you heard about some of the things in the U.S. with the DACA and the immigration ban and things yes. like that. And we have a great uh, legal team at Microsoft who is uh, basically fighting the things that they see as injustice and 
and saying, you know, if you want to come and get our, you know, mm-hmm. our DACA, um, you know, people, you'll have to go through the legal department. That's, you know? that's very good to see. Yeah. yeah. That's so, definitely yeah. some, some horrible stuff that's been going on. Yeah. 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 I like to, you know, I like to hear what Microsoft does in the, in the press in that regard. It's just great. So, yeah. You know, it's to be, be behind, yeah. uh, uh, be behind the right side of history in a lot of cases. Absolutely. So, I yeah. think a lot of people mm-hmm. forget that, uh, technical companies are on, sort of the forward thinking part of all of industry and economy. So it's, uh, it's where you would think, uh, some companies would be, would have different policies. It seems like most companies are pretty much united on that front mm-hmm. to bring things forward and, uh, and provide things like that. Nice to see, obviously, Microsoft leading the way with, uh, with, with that uh, legal support though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about some of the projects, speaking engagements and conferences and other things that you're currently working on. Yeah, so so my job is mainly to um, go out. As I mentioned, I just I love my job because I can go out and I can talk to people in the Java community and get their feedback. And you know, so far it's really nice because we kind of uh, in in the Java world at least we we really benefit from low expectations. You know, it's uh, uh, they don't really expect a lot from us. So when we you know when I go out and I speak at a Java event and you know, people show up and they listen to what we have to say, or they come by our booth, uh, you know, and they hear that we have a lot of Linux. We have like uh, 40% Linux uh, VMs out there, and it's just a huge uh, part of our business. Uh, and then uh, when they hear about all the things we're doing and the projects that I'm working on, which is uh, actually making our docs understandable and updating our SDK so they do things that people want. Um, so it's great to... Uh, Basically, those are, those are the projects I do. So I basically work on projects that help developers do what they need to do on the cloud, mm-hmm. in this case, Azure. Uh, and then I go out to events and tell people about it. Yeah. And we have a huge uh, engineering team in the background that I take a lot of credit for the work they do. So that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> but um, they're really good and they're really focused on building things. Uh, so anyway, some of the events I've got coming up, um, you know, we'll be at Java 1 this year. Uh, so Java One's a big, big thing for us. We're going to make a lot of product announcements and launches then. Uh, also, um, right after that, we've got a webinar with some of our partners, which is Azul Systems. Uh, they build a version of the OpenJDK, which is customized, and then Hazelcast, which has a, a grid data memory system for caching uh, uh, modern applications. So I'm doing a performance uh, webinar with them and a meetup. Uh, and then I go to Europe. I'm going to go to EclipseCon EU in Ludwigsburg, Germany. Hmm. Um, is Eclipse still around? Eclipse is still around. <laughs> no. They're very influential. <laughs> um, and then uh, we're going to um, JFall in Utrecht. Uh, and then uh, Devox in Belgium. And Devox in Morocco. It's actually in Casablanca oh, very this cool. year. Yeah, it's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. That's, that'll be a, a different different event. Uh, and then back to San Francisco for Spring One. So Spring's a big, uh, Pivotal's a par- big partner of ours, and, and their Spring offerings are really amazing. Oh, so. yeah. Sure. So that's some of the things I'm doing in the in the near future. So you, ha- you mentioned Eclipse, and what's the, so what's the state of Java development right now? Uh, if you're if you're programming in Java, what's your world look like? Because I, I know there's Eclipse, which I I, you know, I didn't find very favorable for stability reasons, but that was years ago, mm-hmm. and I've switched to the JetBrains stack for most of the languages. So, what's the sort of uh, since I don't get to dabble in Java every day, and maybe other listeners don't, maybe you can <laughs> give a uh, 
sneak peek into the life uh, life of a modern day Java developer. Yeah, I mean it's really changed in the last few years. So Java development has really uh, uh, sort of transformed. Um, a lot from, of stuff on the JVM too, right? Not just Java, right? So yes, yeah. yes. So uh, there's all different kinds of JVM based languages: Kotlin, yeah, Groovy, Scala. Um, because of some of the big open source projects that work with big data, like Hadoop and Spark, uh, Java has made a resurgence. Uh, Jenkins is written in Java, yeah. so a lot of applications that you probably use already. Believe it or not, are under the hood written in Java, and a lot of uh, Android, of course, is uh, yes. Java, right? So. Well, Android, yeah, the, yeah, the, the language, flavor, yes. the language <laughs> base yes. is compatible with Java, yeah, but, but actually, not the libraries, yes, yes it doesn't actually build mm-hmm. the same way or anything. But, yeah. um, but you know, so so the developers' world, you know, it went from five years ago where it was, you know, Java was basically in maintenance mode, mm-hmm. uh, both at you know, uh, at the core and also at most companies that I remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, if you go to a Java user group, maybe you'd get 10 people yeah. if there was a meeting called at all. These days, um, I mean, I spoke at the Silicon Valley Java users group a while ago. We had 150 people and, and wow. it, you know, it's not uncommon to get 300 or 1,000 Um some of these events that I just mentioned used to be they're they're promoted and based by uh, based on uh, local user groups, right? And uh, you know they get at these annual events fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand people. So it seems like the user base was always there, but it took yeah. some events to get them out again into meetups, etc. Right? Yeah. Well, they're, 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 I think the the. the I guess the conventional wisdom was there really wasn't much to learn mm-hmm. uh, new that you could pick up. You know, there's basically Java and more Java, and now there's all these applications and frameworks and uh, you know things that make the Java world interesting again. And of course, the cloud. So a lot of people are looking to, you know, they were looking to replace their Java applications five years ago, and now with all these new uh, offerings, they're Just move looking it there. to enhance them yeah. and move them to the cloud. Yeah. So, so that's the kind of thing, you know, there's a lot of, uh, interest and a lot of excitement in the Java world these days. You know, Java One is, is a big event and then the DevOpses are big events. There's, I think, six of them all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, Pivotal's doing some really amazing stuff with, um, what they call cloud native Java applications, uh, based on a 12 factor framework or 12 factor manifesto, if you will, of, of different, uh, factors that an application should have. Uh, microservices are big, uh, mm-hmm. containers, uh, of course, Linux. Uh, Linux is, is becoming very intertwined with Java now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it always was, I guess, but uh, really becoming more of a, a thing. What, what, do you, what do you see specifically with uh, Java and Linux, with the, the link between the two? Is it just because both were open source for such a long time? Yes. Uh, yeah. And now you're seeing the fruit of that and that there's a lot of... Uh, yeah. efficiencies built around that or yes yeah and, you and, would know better i'm just yeah no trying and, and, to dig deeper into that uh, well, phenomenon yeah a lot of open source projects now are written in java and they run mostly on linux so if you're looking for docs it's hard to find something that's not running on linux uh it used to be sort of a big background you know ibm had many operating systems that it was running on uh and then there were solaris yeah. and windows of course and things like that but it's really sort of coalesced around Linux now. So, you know, typical Java application runs Tomcat, Linux, and MySQL, yeah. or or, dot, or or MongoDB on the back end. Yeah. Um, 
or both and uses some kind of storage. Um, but yeah, those are, you know, sort of the way things are now, which is good because you don't have to, if you're writing a Java application, you don't have to write a version for Solaris and right. for AS400. Where it used to be. Yeah. I yeah. think there's still some maintenance jobs for AS400 people, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is, um, you know, believe it or not, Windows still has a pretty strong Java presence. When I talk to Java developers, they still use Windows desktops for developing. Wow, weird. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the people in, in the enterprise. Yeah, yeah. In, in oh, general, yeah, of course. Uh, in the enterprise, um, it's pretty much, I guess it's about, and this is just my own running some surveys and asking questions, I would guess it's about 75% of oh, wow. Windows. Yeah. yeah so these are yeah. these are our people, the enterprise developers. Yeah, yeah. Who, um, At least in North America, right? I'm, I'm not uh, sure. Worldwide. Oh, worldwide. Yeah. 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 Any, any big companies that are using Java tend to have mm-hmm. use Windows for their desktops. Right. Yeah, which is surprising. And then they use Linux for the server now. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, so what would you say motivated you to start your current role? You've been with Microsoft for the last five years. Yeah. Uh, so this this new role you've been with for about six months, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So as I mentioned before, I, I joined um, Microsoft at MS Open Tech, which we were changing things. Uh, MS Open Tech's mission was sort of accomplished. Uh, I was working with a variety of programming languages back then. Mm-hmm. But I really like working with Java on the cloud, and I really noticed there was a resurgence in excitement around Java. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back into that because I've had a background since 1999 when I wrote a book for IBM on, on uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, God, I don't even remember. Um, but yeah, I wrote a book. I'll have to look that up. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wrote a book on uh, working with XML and working with Java. And this isn't the book that I wrote, the XML Programming Bible. It was one before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been working with that since 1999. I've got a good background in it. And I just knew that there was a lot of excitement and it was a good place for growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to be in a place where things are growing and things are interesting and there's a demand for information. Um, and so I, I did, once the MS Open Tech had been absorbed into the Microsoft mothership, it was separate for a while and it was absorbed in, uh, there were just sort of a few different things going on, but there was no real effort to reach out to open source communities. We had this really good Microsoft marketing that was reaching out with a high openness message and getting people to work on GitHub. And then we had sort of people out in the field who were working on with individual customers on Java. We didn't have anybody who was talking to Java communities, and that's really what I like to do. So I was actually doing that on my own. Uh, as part of, it wasn't part of my main job, but I was still doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up uh, hearing about this developer advocates team. Uh, and Jeff Sandquist is the guy who's, who is uh, running the team. Uh, he used to run the developer evangelism group at Microsoft. And uh, he left for Twitter. Uh, Robert Scoble used to work for him, if you know who that is, and a few other guys very notable in the technical world. Uh, he left for Twitter for a few years and then came back and um, re-engaged with developer relations, developer evangelism, we called the developer advocates team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was hiring some really interesting people from Amazon and from 
Docker and other companies like that. And I said, hey, I, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to work in the Java community. And we had a chat and he hired me. So that's basically how it went. Uh, I was already doing the job. He didn't really have to like get me up to speed on anything. It's just, okay, I'm going to come in and work on the Java stuff. So it's nice to be able to. Or get paid for something you're doing anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's really it's it's an amazing. You know, I mentioned before Microsoft is is you know very much into to code and very technical. I mean, just as an example, um, I did want to plug a tour that my corporate vice president is doing. So Scott Guthrie, who's oh, Scott Goo, very famous. Yeah, you know Scott Goo. So he's yeah, you know. This Red is, this shirt, is, this is Microsoft. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, he's a corporate vice president. He reports to Satya Nadella. Yeah. He has tens of thousands of people who report to him. At least I think it's tens of thousands. He has a lot of responsibilities. He's doing a six city tour. Um, Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, Boston, New York. Um, what is that? No, that's actually five cities. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and it's October 16th to 20th. He's actually getting up on a stage and doing his own demos oh, live uh, for a couple of hours in each city, one after the other. Wow. This is this is you know this is uh, it's a, it's a little bit uh, intimidating to be honest because here's this guy who runs this whole group and then he's doing these tours. And he does his own live coding and everything. And then it's like, well, what did you do, Brian? Well, I spoke at a couple of events in the last <laughs> few months and, you know, sort of, uh, but yeah, it's, it's great to have it's sort of backwards like that. from what people expect that their bosses don't touch code at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've worked for other companies, um, that I mentioned already, you know, where it's sort of like you'll get up there and you do a presentation and the people will say, okay, I'm going to get you all excited for being here. And then, we're going to bring some nameless geek to do the demos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like, you know, Scott Guthrie will actually do his own demos, and, yeah. and he really values. He'll, well, he'll, that hasn't really changed for him, I don't think, because uh, I believe he was here at the very beginning of, uh, in the initial stages of Azure, uh, mm -hmm. up in Vancouver at the one event I remember seeing him, and uh, yeah. I think that's the first time I really uh, got to meet him and, and, and have a small conversation, which was nice, And uh, but it's it's just funny to see those early days of Azure and yeah. where it's gone to over the, over the last uh, few years. Uh, it's it's just exploded. Yeah, and, and he's it's been, all you know, it's all has been sort of uh, because of him, really. It's yeah, he's definitely the shepherd. I mean, there's a huge team mm -hmm. who works on these things, but he's definitely uh, someone you can you can certainly respect in terms of leadership. You know, to to build these things out, and he really knows what he's doing. So that's, I guess that's my point. So it's, so Microsoft has this, you know, code in their DNA, you know, right all the way from Bill Gates, who used to write his own code and contact developers and Scott Guthrie sort of continuing that, that tradition. And it's, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, the red shirt tour, I want to plug it. It's AK, <laughs> it's aka.ms slash RST. If anyone that's wants to sign up, October 16th to 20th. That's an interesting one. Interesting name for a tour for Star Trek fans, right? Yeah, well, uh, he, just sort of for those who don't know, so Scott Guthrie is very famous for wearing these red yep. polo shirts. Always, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's you can that's spot him anywhere. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, that's, maybe that, that's how he that's how he got so famous. And everybody knows, <laughs> you know, at Microsoft, and he's, he's, he's actually yeah, he's tall. Yeah. He's really tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've met him in person, it's yeah. like surprising. He's like he's a very tall guy. So. <laughs> Well, it's good to to hear that all that uh, effort by Scott has been rewarded with uh, 
yeah. moving uh, Microsoft into a whole new world. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we so just to wrap that answer up, sorry, uh, <laughs> is um, you know we have an amazing team with an amazing leadership, mm-hmm. and really, um, you know, everyone really knows their stuff. They write their own demos. There's nobody there who's who's faking it at all, and we write our own documentation, and we can talk intelligently with developers and the community, and that's what we're here for. We're not we're not you know public relations or marketing or not that those things are bad, but mm-hmm. you know developers want to talk to developers and get real answers to questions, and you know you don't have to with us if you're talking to us, we don't have to go and check with someone to see what the answer is. It's it's a great team. That's awesome. Yeah, great answer. <laughs> Um, so you've obviously done a lot in your career. You're very accomplished. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so what I want to know is, so everybody starts out somewhere, uh, usually with a little bit of experience, maybe some, some interests and very in different fields. Uh, so what would you give yourself, uh, what would you give, what advice would you give to your 25 year old self? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm pretty old, so I don't know. Uh, I, I, uh, so that would be 25 years ago, so 1990. Don't don't buy that Buick, Buick Skylark. <laughs> <laughs> take take better care of your teeth. Um, what else? Uh, um, yeah, it's it's uh, there. There's uh, there's. I mean, who knew in 1990 what we'd be working with now? I mean, things have changed so much. I mean, the, the iPhone is only 10 years old. Before yeah. that, everyone had little punch buttons on the phone, a little tiny screen, and mm-hmm. you could take a picture, but how do you get it to your computer? Yeah. And it, it's like, it's changed so quickly. Yeah. I but mean, we've also had ebbs and flows of fat client, thin client, back to fat client, yeah. all sorts of different things, right? Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, I don't know if I call it evolution or just history repeating itself or what, but yeah, there's been a lot of that. But I, yeah, so what would I give? I mean, it's just, uh, first of all, uh, you know, 25 years ago is a great, t- 25 year old self is a great time to be alive. Just enjoy it. <laughs> Don't stress too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, you know, just uh, stay open for opportunities, uh, travel more. Uh, you know, and don't worry so much about the future because so many things could happen in the future that you can't even, uh, fathom, including, you know, it technology is a good example. I mean, things that, uh, seemed really important 25 years ago to my 25 year old self are probably, I don't even remember what they are now. Yeah. So well, travel certainly thing. is a, is a recurring theme for, for a lot of people that I get asked that question. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of interesting with travel. I'll talk about that a little bit, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, I, I, when I was younger, I did travel all over the world and lived all over the world. And I didn't have a plan. Uh, I just sort of went out there and I worked, I was really fortunate. I was able to work in, uh, I'm a, I'm a Canadian citizen as well as us. And I was able to work in England and Australia with this thing called a working holiday visa. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was, and, and there were a lot of jobs back then, good jobs that paid really well. Unfortunately, it's not quite the same now for the same sort of arrangement. Uh, so anyway, it's very extremely fortunate. But, um, yeah, that's something I always tell people, especially Canadians and Americans. There's this thing called a gap year. Just search gap year. It's something that a lot of Australians and New Zealanders do. They, they definitely get this right. Before they go to college or sometimes after college, they take a year off and mm-hmm. they go travel. They save money. 
sometimes they work. It's not a near, to, it's not like totally irresponsible or anything. Well, that that but, explains that uh, Australian population in Whistler. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're all in their gap here. Yeah, yeah seriously. Uh, so you know, they they go out and they travel and they see the world and they they and it it, it creates a different understanding of uh, of how things are. You know, like I'm going to Morocco for DevOps, and people in the U.S. are going, "Oh my God, you're going to Morocco." It must be dangerous. And I'm like, well, not really. I mean, I know there's like people from all over the place there and, you know, there's yeah. dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago that yeah. I wouldn't want to go to that, you know, that, you know, there's, there's always risk wherever you go, but it's not such a scary place. No, no, I've absolutely. Yeah. I mean, last year I went to the Ukraine, mm-hmm. as you know, there's some uh, fighting on the yes. Eastern front and people yeah. are going, what, what are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm going to, Kiev, it's a different part of the country. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, the conference is still going ahead in Kiev. So, um, I went and, uh, obviously nothing happened as nothing happened to you in Morocco, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, I, I hope not would. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's no more dangerous in those parts of the world than mm-hmm. it is anywhere else. So. Yeah, and and that's what you know. A lot of people, they, if they go and they see these places, and they just see that there's just people living there just like us, and they have their own, you know, uh, they have their own lives, and and you know everything. It's not some, you know, it's not what you see on TV with some of the war zones yeah. in the Middle East. Uh, it's just a place where people are living and getting by in their daily lives, and they're welcoming to strangers, and yeah. way more welcoming actually than. A stranger would be in America. So, yeah, that's you know. uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So travel. Yes. yes. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Any other insights you give to uh, to somebody just starting out in, in the field, or um, you know, it's it's so much easier now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to sound old again, but. You know, back in the day when I wanted to learn a new programming language, (laughs) I'd have to go to the bookstore and hopefully they had a book or the library. It was always checked out. The good books were always checked out. Always checked out. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and and you had to buy a computer. I remember I had to get a loan to buy a $6,000 computer to work on, um, you know, work on different programming languages I wanted to work with and just so I could learn them and, Mm -hmm. you know, part of my career. Yeah. Today, Uh, if someone can pick up a used computer for $50 or $100 and away they go. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the cloud makes it so much easier because you can have access to a huge amount of computing power for for free through several cloud providers yeah. including Amazon and Microsoft and others and and also it's um, you know it, the other thing is just access to information so you don't even need a book yeah. anymore if you want to learn Java or Python or something you just Google the, the error message you're getting and Stack Overflow pops up with yeah. the answer and there's a whole community out there who can help you. Uh, it's called it's called Stack Overflow driven development these days, isn't it? It is. It is. It really. Uh, one of these days they're going to invent an AI that actually goes out and every and starts coding and then when it gets an error goes to Stack Overflow gets the answer tries the code and et cetera et cetera until it gets it right I thought I someone swear. already made a plugin for one of the IDEs where you start typing what you want and it um it picks the top hit from Stack Overflow sample code and pastes it in for you almost automatically so <laughs> maybe maybe set, set uh, basically saves you a few alt tabs and a control <laughs> copy paste yeah yeah exactly exactly well yeah. 
<laughs> but that's, I mean, that's really, so it's really changed and, you know, you can do anything you want. There's really very low barrier, if any, to learning technology these days. And so I, it's just, uh, it's wonderful now. I mean, you know, it's, it's a great, uh, great time of opportunity for doing this kind of so stuff. So with so much information out there for new people, though, how, what advice would you give uh, to people to distill the fluff from the really core parts that they should be paying attention to? Because uh, it, it has, it's a double-edged sword, uh, mm-hmm. swimming in all this information. But it takes time uh, to to weed out and to try things out. And in some cases, you might, you know, because information is so easy, you might learn the wrong things or go down the path that'll, that that's not ideal because there's information about everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it depends on what you're interested in. The one thing I'd say is, uh, you know, if, if you're serious about, you know, working in technology as a career... Uh, you know, try and focus on things that you can can actually make money from, <laughs> which is harder than it sounds, actually, because uh, it sounds obvious, but you can get really down a rabbit hole in GitHub and building yeah. some really cool stuff, and then and, find and out. open source is the is the hotness, right? So, the, but yeah. it's it's also a lot of uh, where a lot of people spend their free time, and uh, someone that's new might follow that, and yeah. it's, it's could be a year before they realize their own spending time on hobby projects for other people and uh, haven't built experience to get hired somewhere. Yes, yes, exactly. So that's the main thing I'd say is just focus on things. First of all, before you start working on a project with your amazing idea, uh, look around really hard. Spend a lot of time, more than you think you should, on finding out if this has been done before. You know, ninety uh, percent. Yeah, most likely it's been done. <laughs> it's probably been done before. It might be a slightly different way of thinking or a slightly different terminology that they're using, but uh, likely that there's some code out there that already does at least part of what you think is a great idea, and uh, you know, learn from that code and contribute to that project. Uh, but don't just go ahead and start a new project because you think you need something. Uh, you know, and you find out you know, a year later that you just built something that someone else already built. And, well, yeah. if that's your intention, right, uh, to yeah. build something like that, but maybe maybe, just, it's, maybe it's okay for for someone to learn something. Yes, yes. I mean, if if you yeah, if you really want to learn how how things work and and things like that, then it's great to just try something that interests you. You know, and uh, yeah, we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of. Uh, questions about event sourcing and CQRS, which are esoteric buzzwords and people want to learn this stuff. So yeah. instead of getting out there and using some of the tooling, we kind of encourage people to build their own tooling to have a greater appreciation for and understanding of what they get when they take something out of a box and use it. Yeah. yeah so yes, no, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you need to, yeah, there, there's two things. So there's, there's learning and just having fun. And then, but if you're really working towards a goal, you just got to make sure that you're, you stay focused and, don't necessarily. So in terms of a specific part, I love, you know, a lot of uh, listeners probably are tuning in because of uh, uh, the idea that this is cloud, this is Java, this is Azure. In those specific areas, which you uh, have quite a lot of experience now and know what's going on, if someone's trying to learn those particular areas, what would those be for people trying to get in? And they, they, they like the sound of what you're doing and they want to do, do that. So what, what's your suggestion? For right. That? Right. So, so in terms of Java specifically, uh, Java, Azure, any of them. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of Azure, I mean, the thing that, that we have, um, 
with Java, there's a lot to know right now about microservices. Uh, there's a lot. I, if I was going to start from scratch with Java right now, of course, I'd start the basics, uh, start with the basics. MIT has a great open source, uh, uh, free Java course. And I'd probably get my Java certification just because it kind of makes you focus on learning enough to yeah, pass the Yeah, a lot test. of, a lot of people, uh, don't like certifications, but, but I actually do like them for the fact that they give you, they ensure a complete exposure to, to the whole surface area of what you're trying to learn. Yeah. I, I, I agree with putting heavy emphasis on, on, on certifications when you're getting hired. But for the learning part, I absolutely think it's wonderful because it does expose you to the things that you don't find when you, when you're Googling around on Stack Overflow. Exactly. Yeah. If you, if you just learn everything piecemeal, you're, you're going to have a lot of gaps. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, you know, I know I do that because I've been working for a long time and I yeah. have a lot of gaps in my programming language knowledge. So I like to go get a certification because I learn all the things that I should have learned. Right. Uh, <laughs> at work. Um, yeah. So I did the same thing for .NET and uh, it was very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great thing to do. So I, w- I would start with certifications. Uh, the MIT course is great. There's a book called Thinking in Java. The older versions are free online. And, oh, nice. And the, it really, you know, the, the base concepts haven't changed that much. So mm-hmm. classes and objects, mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera, are still um, very, very focused. And then from there, so that's the basis of Java. And then I'd learn uh, as much as I could about Tomcat, starting with an application server like Tomcat. And um, start working with Spring. Uh, Spring uh, Pivotal has published a number of books on cloud native Java. Uh, most of them are free; you can download them. Um, and uh, you know, cloud native Java—the concept is basically uh, uh, roughly along the lines of twelve-factor, so uh, loosely coupled microservices, uh, similar to the things that Adaptech works with. Yeah. Uh, but um, we're we're is, language agnostic, so we we would happily have you know Java projects. Uh, internally for sure sure yeah and so the, the cloud native java is a great discipline to start working with um and uh focus on some of the spring frameworks and some of the spring tools like spring boot and uh, spring data and spring auth so i mean the main things that that i find customers are asking me about is you know we want to move to the cloud we need to learn about scalability uh identity and security and performance and reliability. So uh, the spring projects kind of uh, basically cover a lot of those topics for you, and it's just a great way to learn and get up to speed a little quicker than you might in some of those areas. So if someone wants to start on that, it would be learn the fundamentals of Java, then uh, make sure you understand and uh, can use uh, Tomcat and Spring. Yep. Uh, exactly. Excellent. Exactly. I, that, I mean, you can build entire applications just with Spring right. and Tomcat and Java. So maybe for the more CPU. Oh, and MySQL. Sorry. Oh, my, well, of course, MySQL. Learn we need, MySQL. We need to store our data somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, we have, I mean, in the cloud now, you don't necessarily need to learn a lot about MySQL, but yeah. you still need to know uh, things like connection strings and yeah. stuff uh, to actually be able to point to those. And, and, uh, NoSQL as well. So yeah. MongoDB is a great way to start. We have, uh, at Microsoft, we have Docu- or, uh, Cosmos DB, which, uh, mm-hmm. is, is sort of, uh, it's a MongoDB compatible backend service. Uh, but you can start with MongoDB. We have a MongoDB service as well. Uh, and so that, those are the other things. Just, just a little bit. 
Java. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tomcat. You're going down a rabbit hole. Do you still want to learn to program? MySQL <laughs> and, and, and MongoDB. Those are the things I would right. pick up. Yeah. Uh, maybe for some of the people that are more seasoned then and they've been, they've had a career, um, already, uh, and, and, uh, Java job, uh, pops up. Um, what are some of the things that changed in maybe Java, the language itself, which may have made Java more approachable or more, um, uh, more advanced because there's always, uh, you know, uh, the, the thing that I always face is a uh, Java versus C sharp. Oh, C sharp's newer. It's got all these nice language features. But then you look at some of the IDEs that you can get. If you really like that, that style of development, I know that IntelliJ has a whole bunch of folding and, and, uh, what you see on the screen is a better, a smaller representation to some of the more verbose things that Java has. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that are coming into Java natively that are advancing the language? Oh, there's a lot of things with Java 9, which are going to be mm-hmm. uh, doing, um, uh, which are going to be making a big difference. I, I don't know if I want to go into a lot of specifics oh, there. No, no, uh, just an yeah. over, high-level yeah. overview. Uh, you know, what, what some of the criticisms were with previous versions are just because Java's been around for a long, long time. So yeah. I, I understand that some of these things are harder to do because of the the time that the syntax has been around. Right. Uh, so what are, what are some of the things? And even, you know, C, C++ has uh, new versions coming out and then it's still, you know, improving <laughs> things. So what's Java's take on that? Well, actually there's, there's, I'll tell, I'll talk about a couple of big features. First of all, you know, things like spring and some of the frameworks really, mm-hmm. I find is where the innovation is, is happening. There are, you know, there are innovations happening with Java itself and there's a big controversy about Java Enterprise Edition and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but mainly, I find the things that I find interesting are things like Spring, which is basically extending the language with its own sort of abstract language on top of it. And uh, coming out of Oracle recently, one of the most interesting things in the new announcements of open sourcing different projects mm-hmm. is that they're going to get rid of the clauses where you couldn't bundle the JD, the actual SDK oh, right. and JDK and the, sorry, the JRE. Mm-hmm. You couldn't bundle the JRE. The with, Java runtime environment. Yes. Mm-hmm. With your application, you couldn't basically bundle the binaries and distribute it, which is a big problem because mm-hmm. it's, there's so many nuances between mm-hmm. different, Point versions of Java that you really right. need to, you know, if if you have to ship something with your specific version, right. and there was always this this little dance where you had to install your application, then go get your Java from somewhere else. That's right. Yeah, so uh, you couldn't really just completely install it, and that's the kind of thing that Spring Boot, mm-hmm. as part of Spring, has been working to overcome. Well, like new languages like Go, you kind of get everything together, and then once you build it, you just ship it all together. There's no, you know, none of these things. So they have to kind of catch up to this, right? Yeah, and that's and that's what they've done. So they've sort of changing the licensing. It's not a technical issue. Mm -hmm. It's sort of more of a a licensing nuance. So you're going to be able to ship Mm -hmm. your code with everything that works with the code, right? uh, All in one bundle. Right. And, uh, that's, I think that's going to make a big difference. Absolutely. It's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a huge, uh, differentiator. I mean, anyone that's ever needed to support a Java application having to go to the installer and it's not just a script that runs all of a sudden. There's this, uh, end curses type of dialogue where you have to click OK to accept an agreement, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure if those are going away or maybe not, but, uh. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea, but I know right. that you're going to be able to distribute the code with, right, right. with, the, uh, th- that was just news that came out last week. So, does, does this change anything in terms of uh, what people are? I, I mean, even 
if you have kids and you've installed Minecraft, you've gone through the Java installer, I'm sure. And <laughs> there's always the choice of having Oracle Java or the Open JDK kind of uh, mm-hmm. choice, and mm-hmm. uh, it has some implications. Has that has that recent development affected that? Do you think? Yes, well, it has. Okay. It, it's actually 100. percent So the the uh, the the idea here from I think from Oracle's announcement. I don't want to quote them, but I think the words were that. Um, the, the OpenJDK and the Oracle JDK are going to basically be the same thing eventually. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if they provided a timeline, but it was, you know, that was the announcement. They said it's going to be, um, the same, the same code base, the same binaries, everything right. should be pretty much the same between the two. So from so, a, so from a high tech perspective to the difference to the everyday person, it means installing Minecraft will be easier. Yes, <laughs> or anything Java-based. Right. Yep. Well, yeah, everyone knows Minecraft, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Even your kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we should probably switch back to Azure. Um, in your opinion, Brian, who are some of the companies who have a good understanding uh, and implementation of Azure? Uh, so essentially, who's doing it well? Yeah, so they're, um, Microsoft, I, um, the ones I can talk about, because a lot of customers I can't mention by name, but, sure. um, we actually have a site that you can go to and check this out. So we have, uh, if you just, uh, search on Azure case studies, you can find it. Uh, but basically there's a few, um, the couple that come to mind are, uh, GeekWire, which you may have heard mm-hmm. of. It's yeah. based in the Pacific Northwest and they, uh, handle, uh, two million people a month. Uh, reading their articles directly and then through, you know, social media as well. Um, and, uh, they use some very interesting applications, uh, on Azure to do that. So it's 100% in the cloud. Uh, one of the, one of the most interesting ones for, for anybody who travels. So, um, Swiss Re is a reinsurance company and they actually handle on the back end a lot of travel insurance. Uh, and one of the cool things they did with Azure recently was uh, using a little bit of AI, some SQL databases, and some integration with with uh, aviation databases out there. Uh, they automatically and proactively will reimburse uh, policyholders if a flight is canceled. So they know that you were on a flight. They know that it was canceled. They don't wait for you to actually submit a claim. They will actually just automatically say, "Hey, you know, we know your flight was canceled. Uh, Big Brother's watching you. Here's your check." So, uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. it's kind of interesting. Um, and they use uh, something called App Service, uh, which is a scalable mm-hmm. sort of sandboxed application service. Instead of your own VMs, we manage pretty much yeah. everything except the app. Uh, and they use uh, some APIs that we built for some of our services, including SQL and a few others. So. Yeah, um, Geico. Geico's doing some cool things on Azure as well. Uh, if anybody has car insurance in the U.S., and is Geico in Canada? I don't know. No, I don't. No, I don't think so. Okay, we're, we're you really get the TV ads. Yeah, okay. sure. yeah, so Geico uh, is really well known. People don't know it. it actually no, we, we know Azure. it here, or maybe it is. Yeah. I, I think we, we get the ads for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <so> <laughs> it might be available. <laughs> but with Canada, you never know. We always just look at the ads and, and wish we could get whatever is being advertised in the states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, the I'm the opposite when I come up here with my phone. I wish we could just have the same coverage up here. So yeah, <laughs> it's always it's a hassle. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, the other one is um, uh, so Citrix. Citrix uses mm-hmm. um, they have a mobile app 
yep. that you can access your applications if you were on the desktop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't use any desktops. It actually uses Azure, and it scales with a thing called the Azure Service Fabric, which is a, yep. a scalable um, a platform. Well, Citrix so is an interesting company. I mean, for those that are not familiar, maybe some of the younger listeners, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can give a background of Citrix because they've had a very interesting history. Yeah, they were the original uh, virtualizers. So yeah. they were the people who originally, you could use Citrix tools to uh, be at home on your desktop or your your uh, big compact box that they used to call a portable or something like that. And you could, uh, uh, you could actually remote in, basically, uh, to another computer and take over whatever was on that computer and run things using Citrix software. And this was, you know, obviously this is like basic stuff that a lot of companies do now, but back in the day, that was a really innovative thing. And we, yeah, we used to use it a lot at, at the office, you know, to connect to other offices and manage servers and server rooms all over the world. Um, but yeah, that, that was their base model and they've extended that now. So they still have the software that does that and is still very much in use. Uh, but now they've extended it to mobile and a few other platforms as well. So they do a lot of interesting things. Yeah, yeah very cool. Yeah. Nice. So there's a flip side to that question. Uh, what would you say some of the common pitfalls people encounter uh, when working with Azure? Uh, working with Azure or just the cloud in general is, is you know, um, they don't necessarily always take advantage of the services that are offered by the cloud. They'll put everything on VMs because they know that and they're comfortable with it and they like having the control over their versions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't necessarily uh, use some of our, our things that we've built and offer them. Like we have pre-built templates for common configurations. Like we have one that is, you know, um, it's Linux, uh, Tomcat, and Java all pre-configured and ready to go with compatible versions. Uh, and you can just take that and scale it out to uh, the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, a lot of people don't use our CLI. They'll use a portal, or they'll try and struggle through their DevOps tools to actually build things on the and cloud. Then, and then they don't they remember what they clicked, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and they can do that. They can do that. They can actually uh, build things, uh, you know, using DevOps, Chef, Puffet, things like that. We, we, they're good partners of ours. But they, there's a lot easier ways to do things sometimes with just the CLI or the portal or something like that. Um, and then, you know, just like I said, not taking advantage of our services. Like we have SQL services, uh, Cosmos DB, which is a MongoDB compatible, you know, uh, a multi-database uh, platform. Uh, and, uh, you know, using some of our integrations like VSTS, Visual Studio Team Services, uh, is free for up to five users, and you can use it to manage a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it integrates with Jenkins and Chef and Puppet and other things that you're, you're used to using. Um, and then for scaling, like web apps and VM scale sets, uh, people will build their own cluster configuration based on the app server they're using. Uh, but we actually have these things called VM scale sets, which will take a virtual machine and scale it out multiple times. Uh, it really improves uh, reliability, mm-hmm. performance, and, and scalability, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are pretty set patterns for a lot of applications. So a lot of people don't know they don't have to rebuild that. And it's a total cost center for a lot of companies, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and people are afraid to spend a little money on a service that, you know, they'll, they'll spend, you know, couple months implementing something custom. It goes back to our thing about open source projects. You know, 
before you build something, try and figure out if someone else has already built it. And, yeah. You know, in our case, we've spent a lot of time. We have a huge amount of people working on Azure and building in reference architectures and things like that. Oh, that's the other thing. So reference architectures, documents. A lot of people don't look at our documentation before they try something. They should really... RTFM, right? Yes. <laughs> read that manual. Uh, we, we have a, a huge document. Left out a lot of there, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we have a, a huge docs team who's building docs yeah. and, and, you know, testing them and trying things out for you. And then you, if you just, you know, look at our docs and go through the steps, I get it all the time. I said one on Twitter today, somebody was asking a question about how do you do something and, um, I couldn't remember how to do it. I just did a search and found the doc and sent them a link to the doc and, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's pretty, Thank you very much. Yeah, that's so. pretty much universal advice, though. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone yeah. doing anything should get introduced to the documentation first. Yeah. yeah. And, and ask for help. I mean, we have a, a a bunch of people like our our team. You know, the developer advocates are always on Twitter. Uh, uh, and you know, if you believe it or not, if you have a question, I mean, we're not going to sit there and help you code your solution, but uh, you know, not in most cases anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you have a question or a problem, you can ask for help and someone will generally get back to you. I mean, we have, we monitor Stack Overflow conversations. We monitor Twitter and all the social media for questions about Azure. I specifically monitor for Java and Azure. And, uh, yeah. you know, and if it's Docker and Azure, then we've got a bunch of experts, you know, that we just actually recently hired that will help with that. And, I see a lot of companies adopt that approach, uh, scouring, uh, Twitter for, for names of, of their products and, uh, being very proactive and, sure. in, uh, in dealing with, uh, uh, with the problems right there and then. When someone is uh, frustrated, they haven't gone to uh, the company yet or they have and maybe they couldn't connect, but they'll quickly sound their frustrations out on Twitter and then if someone can catch them there, that seems to work for a lot of companies. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, and you know, Asking for help is is just so important and making sure that, uh, you know, one of the challenges that we have as Microsoft is uh, getting feedback from actual people actually using our stuff. It tends to get filtered. I mean, yeah. a lot of people are using our stuff, but it t- our, the feedback tends to get filtered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the tasks of our developer advocate team is to get direct feedback and share that feedback with the product teams who are working on stuff because, I mean... In the end, they really want to build a product that everyone's going to find the most useful. And, you know, uh, that's, that's the whole goal. I mean, that's why they get up in the morning and, and come to work and everything. And if they don't have proper feedback from people who actually know what they're talking about, um, they might not be building things exactly the way that the, the customers expect. It's pretty simple at, at its essence. If we could get direct feedback from customers who are using it and get enough of that feedback, then we can understand what needs to be done and build a product that they're really going to want. So Right. And in terms of uh, connections just to the uh, Azure itself, obviously uh, here in Vancouver, we have uh, some people that represent Western Canada for Microsoft and Azure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah. who would those be? I know them. Let me see if you know their names too. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few people. Uh, uh, Mark Gaylor, uh, Jeff King, mm-hmm. um, actually Anthony Chu. We just he just yes, joined he just the development yes. uh, yeah. and actually he's built a cool app. I got to mention Anthony's app. Uh, it's um, this, anybody who's seen Silicon Valley yep. and knows about the hot dog, no hot dog app. Well, it was just kind of a joke. Someone mentioned 
Bacon, something they want to do a Bacon app. And they mentioned Kevin Bacon, one of the people on our team. Mm-hmm. And as a joke, this is all a conversation on Twitter. I said we should have a Bacon app, which <laughs> you know not only recognizes slices of bacon, but also Kevin Bacon. Uh-huh. So we do. Uh, Anthony was one of the, I think he's the main guy who built this app. Uh, a few days later, he came back and said, yes, we now have a bacon app. So it uses cognitive services from Microsoft on the back end. And it uses some other stuff. But if you just search on bacon app, I think you'll probably find it. But yeah, it'll tell you if something is bacon or not bacon. Well, that's great. So uh, I'm glad that Microsoft's making good use of Anthony now that they hired him. Yeah, see, he's working, this is, on, important, we're, working we're, on important stuff, pro- providing vital services. <laughs> yes, yeah, but, but it, I mean, he's doing other things too. But, well, of so, course, yeah. of course. Uh, but this is, you know, it's a great because it sort of like shows off cognitive services and yes. what you can do with it in a fun way. You yes. know? And, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's not one of those. I've seen a lot of apps that are truly bad. They sort of. Uh, recognize people's age or ethnicity or something like that, and right. they get it so wrong. But you know, and and but this one's just a lot of fun. It's like yes. you know, is it bacon? You know, so yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, so obviously, Azure is a, a massive platform, and the cloud is a massive movement. What would you say are some of the emerging trends that you see in your field, uh, and what will be important to learn and consider in the next five to ten years? Yeah, so that gets back to the question about that we were talking about Java, what to learn about Java. Um, you know, really, um, in the cloud, uh, it seems like uh, Python is just so huge. Go is is really picking up steam. So if I was going to start over and start programming now, uh, I might start. It seems like I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of the people on my team who work with Python and Go because they're having so much fun with all these cool new libraries and things. And uh, I'm still working with sort of like boring old Java. It's, I, I like it. Don't get me wrong. But uh, uh, but Python and Go just seem a lot cooler. Those are where the cool kids are these days. So uh, in terms of programming languages, that's what I'd learn. And then I would just learn as much as I can about cloud CLIs, mm-hmm. how to implement cloud tools like... Um, uh, in our case, we have these things called Azure Resource Manager templates, which is a way to sort of uh, idempotently create these uh, uh, the templates that you can reuse to deploy structures, and they have dependencies and all kinds of stuff. So it's almost like a programming language in itself uh, for managing cloud. Um, so, so all those cloud features, I'd educate myself on all the cloud offerings, like all the services, the managed services we have, like storage, SQL, Service Bus, et cetera, et cetera. Those are really good to, uh, to, um, basically learn these days in conjunction with the modern programming languages as well. So. Maybe five, ten and years AI. is a little bit. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Just learn AI, I think. Yeah, <laughs> just AI. Years, five to ten years is a long way from now. So, oh, But AI is such a huge thing right now. And, I, and IoT. Yeah, so all these different devices and how they work together. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I have, I'm have. i slowly putting them in my house, and it's kind of scary how many I have now that are dependent on Wi-Fi. But anyway, yeah. uh, the uh, it's it's uh, that's definitely a, a big one as well. Well, the IoT uh, stuff is certainly... Putting a twist on uh, on cloud computing and all that with uh, you know, occasionally connected systems as well, because your Wi-Fi is not very uh, reliable as, as some of the larger things. Right, your, your yep. sixty dollars router from uh, Staples, uh, <laughs> yeah, it might uh, might give out sometimes. So it's the yeah. idea of semi-conducted uh, semi-connected systems uh, or distributed systems that are semi uh, not connected all the time together are obviously some things that are 
cloud concerns. Yep, absolutely. the future, right? <laughs> so let's pivot a, a little bit. Uh, if you could tell us about a time in your career uh, <clears throat> that you needed to pivot or a company you were working with needed to pivot, what was the outcome and what, if anything, would you do differently? Um, yeah, so actually, uh, Microsoft, you know, when I joined, uh, one of the reasons I joined is because they were coming from a, you know, very closed culture of, you know, uh, software projects, um, and they're, you know, dipping their toe in the open source world. So that's really a huge pivot for Microsoft. And that's, that's, I think, probably the most relevant one, although I've had many. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the way they did it, I think, was very good. They became a good citizen of open source. And by that, I mean, they contribute as well as take from the open source community. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they're benefiting a lot from Linux in their VMs, but they're also contributing a lot back uh, to Linux. And same with containers. And they're joining the standards groups for uh, different uh, organizations and different programming languages and, you know, areas that they need to be participating in. And they're investing money in it. So they're, they're being good citizens. They're not just taking like some other big companies might. And uh, they're, they're actually giving a lot back as well. Uh, so that's what I would say is, is, you know, that's a good way to do it. Um, you know, be a good citizen for open source. Don't just, uh, mm-hmm. don't just take it and, uh, make sure if you do take anything that you're giving full attribution and that you're, um, you know, making sure that everyone gets the credit that they deserve for the hard work they did. Uh, as a coder, I, you know, I do, that's, that's near and dear to my heart. So mm-hmm. that's definitely something, uh, you know, what would I do differently? Eh, um, at the beginning, it was funny. At the beginning, it was sort of, there was still a very closed-minded attitude at Microsoft. Not, not, I mean, these are good people who are working really hard uh, and, and, you know, trying to do the right thing. But there was an attitude like, oh, well, you know, we don't want to tell anyone what we're working on. And I was like, why? It was sort of like that day when Microsoft was the innovator and they would come out with something that was really exciting and ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. like Apple. You know, sort of like they were the apple of the day. And they still had a little bit of that mentality, like, oh, we can't tell anybody what we're working on. It's like, no, we, you can tell them. You know, they're not going to steal it. You know, they're, they're already probably have something just as good or, you know, similar that they're working on. So just tell them. And I think the company really did benefit once they started opening up and sharing mm-hmm. what they're working on and their plans for the future. They've changed a lot in that regard. So, so that's the thing I would say is, is, you know, don't, don't stay closed. Try and, just basically engage and get out there and talk to the community. And, and you know, the other perception they had was maybe that the, the open source communities aren't going to like them. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it's not, it's not that they don't like them. It's just they don't know anything about them. And so once they actually learn what these guys do and they talk to them, you know, uh, geek to geek uh, at that level, it, you know, everyone was happy. Everyone was pleasantly surprised. They had great conversations and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and they did want to work together. There was nothing wrong with working together. So. Yeah. Certainly, uh, the steps in the right direction. I personally yeah. am still waiting for their Linux desktop. I want the operating <laughs> system to be open source all the way through for privacy reasons and security reasons. So, I mean, while this Linux subsystem is great, I still think we have to get rid of a lot of the proprietary vectors out there 
Um, and so we'll see what happens in the future. I mean, that's going to be be another 10 years, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, the challenge with that, of course, is, you know, the flip side of that is somebody makes a distro that's vulnerable to something and then is that Microsoft's fault and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, it's, uh, you know, once you release it out there, it's, uh, it's in the community. So, so hopefully, um, the fact that it's out in the open, then the amount of vulnerabilities that you see are actually what the hackers also see. With the proprietary stuff, there's the known unknown problem and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Do they, does, did someone reverse engineer that code to know that or not? They're never a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Or even the company itself doesn't know if it had vetted its own software well enough, whereas it's seen by millions of eyes and uh, other running their uh, pen tests on it, et cetera, may yep. actually give you a much, much more accurate uh, uh, risk profile of that. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's but, a good but, point. That's but the whole point. idea from the server side, it's already happened. Uh, all that stuff is open source. Looking at uh, my, uh, Microsoft relying on, on open source Linux for their servers is a huge step. So mm-hmm. we'll probably see more and more of that from different companies and hopefully... Uh, same thing happens on uh, the rest of the computing and IoT, and people are running Raspberry Pis for some computers as well. So yeah. you know, <laughs> the world's changing. People are using their phones instead of their computers for email, right? So it's uh, it's interesting. And as yeah, you bring up an interesting point because it's no longer just this sort of uh, you know build release cycle where we will decide what needs to be done, we will build it in hiding, and then we'll come out with it and release it upon the world. Now, you know, there's a lot of benefits to developing it alongside a whole bunch of engaged people who want to help you make it work and getting direct feedback when something doesn't work. And so you can fix it quickly. And And this is totally different. Absolutely. And it's not free work as well. I mean, Red Hat is the best uh, example of uh, supporting something that's entirely free. And uh, they, you know, (laughs) they really only had a few of, uh, you know, a a bit of a say into what goes into the kernel, but they certainly weren't held at at gunpoint for anything that was a security breach in the kernel, but it was in their interest to to uh, contribute to make it better, yep. and uh, and we're able to build a business on top of supporting something that they didn't own, which was which was interesting. And uh, Microsoft is, is dabbling their feet into that uh, into that space now too, which is great. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, like I say, I mean Microsoft in their in their essence is like a coding company, so you know they they you know they recognize that the things are changing. It's more contact, it's more connected world, and. The more they can be part of that connected world, yeah. it's to their advantage. Yeah, to their advantage. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, so to wrap up, do you have any questions for our listeners? Uh, and if uh, they have answers for you, how could they reach out to you? Okay. Yes, I do actually. Um, so first one is: What are you doing with Java in the cloud? We need to know. Uh, you know, are you using our tools on Azure? Are you using other? people's tools on other platforms uh, and what are you doing with it and how do you think it could be improved you know whether it's us or a competitor or anything we are we're open to new ideas and we need we need good ideas mm-hmm. uh you know we have a lot of good ideas we have a lot of smart people working there but we we don't have people who are out at a customer working on java in the cloud every day for example mm-hmm. uh, and so those people really uh we need their experience and we need them to share their experience so so that's the first thing. What are you doing with Java in the cloud? Uh, the other thing is, uh, are you a well-known Java expert looking for new opportunities? Uh, if you are, um, aka MS slash dev advocate jobs is the place for you. Uh, there's a bunch of jobs on the Microsoft website. We're looking for well-known Java developers to help us 
uh, get the word out about our offerings and help us uh, guide our future uh, versions of our offerings. Um, now, how they can reach me, uh, I am on most things, uh, Twitter, Stack Overflow, Reddit, GitHub at bbenz, B-B-E-N-Z or Z for the Canada, UK, etc. Um, and uh, we also have a Twitter, Azure Advocates, which is a good one to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also reach me in just my email, bbenz at microsoft.com. Uh, also, java at microsoft.com will get you the whole Java team and probably a faster answer in case I'm traveling or something. Uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Brian Benz. Uh, so there's lots of ways to reach me. But, uh, uh, yeah, those are the things to remember. Uh, oh, and if anyone wants to check out um, all our Java offerings, it's azure.com slash java. And I assume you're going to have the links. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This. yeah. yeah, all the links will be below. Yeah. That's wonderful. Cool. Uh, obviously, this is something that's not at the forefront of most uh, people. They kind of forget that there's a whole Java install base in the world. And how, uh, how are these people moving and, and helping bridge that to the cloud? Mm-hmm. That's an amazing opportunity and uh, not something that is usually uh, talked about. So it's great to uh, have you on here and let people know that uh, those worlds are being bridged and uh, Microsoft's doing a fine job at that. So well, especially with your help, obviously, and your background to lead them. Thanks. I like to think so. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm leading them, but uh, <laughs> I'm definitely uh, engaged. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And uh, is there any other places that you'll be maybe uh, talking soon at local user groups, either here in Seattle or in the Northwest or anywhere else in the world? Uh, Nothing planned to Java 1. We're sort of heads down getting our new offerings and our documentation and our samples up to par so uh, people will be impressed with us at, at, at the prom. Excellent. At, uh, Java 1. <laughs> so lots of, lots of uh, interesting things to show then. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for having uh, for coming by and being our guest. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Thanks.